Our gospel lesson this morning is from Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 15. Listen for the word of God for us this day. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him, and a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for your word. Speak to us through it this day in a new way. Amen. This morning is the first Sunday in the season of Lent. Lent is this season in the church that we mark as 40 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter. And I know that one tradition that many people like to follow is to perhaps give something up during Lent or take on a new habit. And they focus a lot on that number 40, in part because they think about whether they could give something up for that long, right? Something that they love or that they value. And this number 40, it's derived from our lesson that we just heard. You, you may have picked up on that, that Jesus is baptized, and then he suddenly finds himself in the wilderness for 40 days. 40 days. So this number 40, it actually comes up quite often in Scripture. It's almost always associated with times of testing, times of struggle, Times where faith is not always easy to have, where faith is a challenge. In Deuteronomy 26, for instance, the people have been wandering in the desert for 40 years. They've been without a home, and they've endured very difficult conditions. And they've questioned whether they were better off when they were in captivity. 40 is a number of struggle. Moses, who had been leading the people through the desert for those 40 years, spends 40 days atop Mount Sinai. He goes away from the people and to the top of this mountain for 40 days on two separate occasions. That's when Moses received the Ten Commandments. 40. It's a number of obedience. Elijah, a prophet, you know, a prophet's job is to listen for God, right? But Elijah was finding himself in a time of great distress, and he runs from God. He tries to hide from everyone, especially God, and he begs God to let him die. He lays down under a tree and falls asleep and prays that he would die. He's stirred awake by an angel, and the angel tells him to eat, and right beside him, there's a fresh, hot, steaming cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. 
And Elijah eats the food, and the scripture says he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Horeb, the mountain, where after that 40 days of fasting, God speaks to him. 40 is a number of fulfillment. Jonah, you remember Jonah, right? Jonah, after he is spit up by the fish, goes to Nineveh, where he preaches repentance. And he did it for how many days? Forty. For forty days, Jonah preached that destruction would come. Forty is a number of warning. Forty. This number is mentioned 146 times in Scripture. You remember how long Noah and his family and all of the wonderful animals were cooped up together on the big boat? Forty. Forty days and forty nights. I always think they say both just to remind us how cooped up it probably was, right? Forty days and forty nights. Forty is a number of God's faithfulness. The interesting thing about this number is that there's no mention anywhere in Scripture as to why 40. Why 40 matters. I've looked at these recurring themes that I've mentioned, though, and I think that the closest I can come is that looking at these common threads, and there are dozens more examples, Through these common threads, the number 40 is being used as a signpost for us to stop and pause and consider God's faithfulness, consider the obedience of God's people. 40 reminds us in these patterns of our need to submit to God, but also, and more importantly, of God's honoring of our willingness to submit to God. These are patterns that reflect the human struggle the struggle for freedom, and God's insistence that God is the one ultimately in control. These are challenging concepts for us to understand. And it's no wonder that the church devotes one of our longest seasons each year to this practice of returning to God. Now, we don't talk a lot in church about why we do the things that we do, But this idea of returning to God is part of why we have our baptismal font front and center every Sunday. And why, as a part of our confessional practice, and not this week because we are having a baptism, but ordinarily, during our time of confession, the baptismal font plays a role. The font reminds us of our dependence on God and reminds us of God's promises of God's grace. And each week when we confess our sin, we acknowledge that we're continually, our human nature is to be drawn to sin. And that we all, each week, if we could do it every day, we'd need it every day, but each week we need this return to God. We don't like to talk too much about dependence on God or disciplines of submission to God. I think we see ourselves often as being very independent. We see the virtue of strength as being more than the virtue of submission. And when I use this word submission, I recognize that it can have some negative connotations. 
particularly for people who have experienced any form of oppression or abuse. But submission, as I'm using it, is more of a presentation of ourselves before God. A presentation of ourselves, like submitting a form or an application. Think about when you're online, right? When you're signing up for Rise Against Hunger, and you're at the end of the sign-up, what's the last thing you do? You press submit. Submit. Rather than submission being a surrender of our will, it's a presentation of ourselves to God. Our lives are about this practice of offering all of who we are to God and saying to God, use me, use me. And this is what our Lenten journey is about. It's about clicking the submit button and asking God to use us and transform us. It's not easy. And I think part of why this can become so difficult is that the world around us is telling us the opposite. The world is telling us to be self-sufficient, to focus on our achievements, to focus on having it all together and everything looking just right. It's why we get dressed up for church, right? Back in the day, you'd think about it, you want to look your best before God. And so the world tempts us tests our faith by trying to convince us that there's something more than what God has called us to be. And these temptations are all around us. And the thing about these temptations and how we respond to them, these are defining factors of our identity. They reveal who we are. They reveal our values, our pressure points, our needs, and even our greeds. More than anything else, though, temptation is truly about our identity. But like the devil that was waiting for Jesus in the wilderness, temptations also seem to lie in wait, capitalizing on the element of surprise. It's part of what gives them their strength. One writer says they are there before we are and they get to make the first move. In our gospel lesson this morning, Jesus is tempted by the devil. In Mark's telling of this encounter, which we heard, we receive very little information about the temptation. The gospel writer Matthew writes an extremely detailed account, but not Mark. Instead, Mark simply writes that Jesus was immediately driven into the wilderness and that he was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted, or tested is another translation of the word, by Satan. Now, we don't know much about the temptation that Jesus experienced, but we know plenty about the temptation that we experience. We know plenty about what the devil would use to draw us away from God or capitalize on our weakness in the desert. We know what temptation means, and we know what it means to experience it. We know what it means to feel swept up in the current demands of our lives, to feel like we might be swept up and not in control, like we're being pulled along too quickly. We don't have enough time to work through it, 
to consider the consequences, to talk with others about it, or even to see all the implications. And that is exactly what temptation is intended to do. In the face of temptation, we are always forced to decide. And we all face a variety of temptations. Some of them are not significant, some are. But no matter the temptation and the power that temptation holds over us, the temptations and the ways that we respond to them, they define us. They show something of our identity. They play into our idea of who we are, who we think we are, who we see ourselves as. And friends, when we don't have that self-awareness, that grounding of knowing who we are, that's when we enter into the temptations. That's when we give in to those temptations. But when we know who we are, we can look for the ways that we can resist the temptations that would otherwise cause us to stumble. But knowing who we are, knowing and remembering who we are, is not an easy thing. Temptations try to steal us out of our reality because they appeal to our fantasy selves, those aspects of ourselves that want to be above it all, to have it all. Temptations show us all the great idealized things where we can live a life that's always satisfied, without injury, without illness, without pain, without sorrow, without failure. All of that. How can we remember who we are when we're offered this shiny, beautiful possibility of who we might become? During this Lenten season, leading toward Easter, I wonder what it would be like for us to slow down, to do the hard work of knowing ourselves, of finding our identity, we do this in so many ways through self-examination. We do this by taking walks with a friend, a partner, sitting down for a cup of coffee and sharing a story about our lives. We do this by opening up to others, by examining our journey of where we've been, taking a step back and telling those stories. We examine our relationship with God, a consideration of who we are as ones who are children of God, created in God's image. Sitting with that, sitting with that message that you are a child of God, that if that is your identity, what does that mean? What does that look like? Knowing ourselves, Knowing ourselves and remembering who we are is the best way that any of us can face temptation. So that we know that it is our true self, the self who finds its identity in Christ. It is our true self who is making the decisions of our lives. Not giving in to temptations that will actually harm us, but instead choosing the things that strengthen us on our journey, the things that give us life. The joy, of course, is that we follow a savior who knew temptation for those 40 days. Whatever that temptation was,
But we also know this because we follow a God who's been with God's beloved in each of those examples I shared with you earlier, the ones with that signpost of 40, Moses, Elijah, Jonah, Noah, the 40s of warning, a God who warns, a God who fulfills, a God who seeks obedience, a God who is present over and over and over again in the midst of struggle and challenge. Did you hear the little boy who said that when he went to the beach, he flew a kite? Did you hear that? I have been thinking about that moment this whole time because that image of the kite flying in the sky, what makes that kite fly? I can't see it. I can't see what's making that kite fly, and yet that kite is flying. That's God's presence. I can't see it, but I can see the kite. I can know it. And during Lent, that's what we're doing. We're returning to God. We practice, we practice this act of acknowledging temptation, acknowledging that our lives are constantly being drawn away from God and yet choosing to return to God. You do this every Sunday when you come to church. There was a time when, when societal pressure is what drew people to church. That's virtually gone. That's virtually gone. You are choosing to come to church, choosing to return to God. And so over 40 days, we, we do this, right? We, we, we focus on the return to God. And if you think that 40 days a year isn't enough time to learn to submit to God, how to rely on God, how to allow God to help you, I have good news. There are actually 46 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter. And there are a few reasons for this, but the most basic historical explanation is that in the early church, Sundays were not considered proper days for fasting. So the 40 days that we count between Ash Wednesday and Easter they don't include Sundays. And so it is, friends. You have 46 days. And the journey of Lent has begun. Our journey to the ultimate expression of God's grace and God's love on Easter. And my prayer for each of you, for all of us, is that this will be a time of God showing God's grace to you throughout this season of Lent as you continue to click that button and submit yourself before God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.